With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, morning, whatever day it is, my fellow human beings. (laughs) Welcome to the Worldview Bros. I'm Sal, and next to me or across from me is my brother Jim, a.k.a. Slippin' Jimmy, a.k.a. The Adukinator, a.k.a. Brogo Baggins, a.k.a. Oh, man, they're, they leave me, man. <laughs> I, I, I've been distracted, okay? <laughs> a.k.a. Jimmy Jimmy Cocoa Puff, a.k.a. Butterbeard. I, I always remember that one for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I mean, that's got a really Jim. nice ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, you did forget to like clarify uh, my racial status. Um, what is my racial identity? <laughs> Which I, I guess, I don't oh know. We're, we're kind of like ambiguously white, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people will say, I mean, are, are we Mexican? Are we white? What are we, Sal? We're white Hispanics. What is a white Hispanic? What's a non-Hispanic white? I know. <laughs> Are we like exempt from all this stuff? From, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're kind of a, a yeah, we're a little weird category. No, but yeah. Um, anyway, I'm doing good. Yeah, I did get hit by a little pebble in my eye as I was uh, trimming my lawn. Yeah, or might have been um, I don't know, a piece of grass, rock, something. But so uh, that's like uh, pretty painful. No but good. shake it off, no problem. Dude, you need those safety goggles. I need to get my Bill Nye goggles. Yes. Get the Bill ninety one Bill Nye Bill Nye goggles. Get your um. Get your uh, your thigh, the your uh, <laughs> shorts like your thigh height shorts <laughs> high thigh high thigh shorts with like super long socks. Okay. Um, and then put some, you know, put some uh, yeah. sunscreen on your nose and don't but, rub it in. Yeah. Okay. And then put your like lawn hat on. Okay. How do with I protect? The goggles. Uh, how do I protect like my 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 knees from the pebbles? Well, you just don't be a girl. Oh. Okay. I, I get it. I get it hits it. the knee. No big deal, man. Okay. <laughs> the eyes. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Our pressing problems. Yeah. Yeah. So um. So anything? Anything going on? Anything new? Uh. Besides that. No. Besides your eye being I mean, destroyed. No, you know, it's taking it easy. We're we're taking a trip to Colorado uh, oh, yeah. on Saturday, and um, nice, lovely I Colorado. I mean, honestly, by the when when I uh, reserved my hotel and stuff, this was I don't know about like four weeks ago or something, dude. I thought for sure we would be in the clear by now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. at this point. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, I guess we'll have to bring our masks and everything else. Uh, I think in the hiking trails they're making you wear masks. That's, That's what insane. Paulina was saying. So, so you're um, going to the same place that she was at, or what? Mm, yeah, uh, we might hit some of those same hiking trails around uh, Estes Park. Oh, okay, okay, um, cool. So, yeah, it's okay. Just want to get away, do some hiking, see a little bit of nature. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I do hear that Colorado is one of those places where it's like everyone is wearing a mask. You know, it's funny. One of our cousins, you know, so Josh was talking about how he's traveling a lot and he was in Texas and like he's like half the people are wearing masks, half are not in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> then he's like, I drove to, then we drove to Colorado. Everyone's wearing masks. Oh, wow. And then he's like, then we drove to Montana and no one's wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, honestly, if you're in Montana, like, who are you going to see? Just your family. Yeah. So. You know where who where people are not wearing masks? Where? So Nicole went to, with her, with her parents a couple weeks ago to, to Canton, Texas. Because there's some kind of a, like a. I don't, know, I don't know if it's a flea market or some kind of yeah, like a yeah, yeah, shop of thing or whatever. Yeah, of course, the flea market there. Yeah. And you can buy puppies and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, so they went. <laughs> she was like, you're in a different world there. There's, everyone's just crammed. No one's wearing masks. And there's more Trump hats, Trump hats than you can count. Wow. So <laughs> it's a pretty interesting place to be Dang. In. Wow. Okay. Anyways. So, again, welcome to the Worldview Bros. Thanks for joining us here today, guys. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can email us at theworldviewbros at, um, at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, um, and all the above, guys. So, so today, guys, on our show, we, we're, we're talking about two, two big questions, right? And, and um, those two questions are, what is white guilt and what is white blindness? Yeah. Okay. Um, what, you know, with everything going on um, in the last now almost month or so, because we can both say, we can all say that there is a problem, yeah. right? Um, I mean, our country is in an uproar. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, there's people on the streets wanting to burn the streets down, right? Yeah. Um, and we have this clear chasm, this divide between, uh, in, in a political sense, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're seeing families being torn apart over these issues, right? So there is a problem to be found, um, and we really want to spend this show talking about what we think the root of that problem is. Yeah, investigating that. So uh, again, white guilt and white blindness, these are um, things that Shelby Steele talks about in his book, White Guilt. And uh, I know that last Friday, actually, Ben Shapiro talked about this and he uh, brought up some uh, passages from that book. And we figured, I mean, though what Shelby Steele is saying in that book needs to be uh, disseminated more and more. So uh, we wanted to also um, take a look at some of those passages and give you our take on it and uh, kind of explore it, see why it's pertinent. But no, Sal, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the situation we're, we're living right now, it's, it's, it's obviously clear that with the, with the murder of George Floyd, I mean, dude, that was like, potentially a Franz Ferdinand moment, you know, it feels yeah. like a Franz mm-hmm. Ferdinand moment. Yeah. It, it, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like tomorrow or next week, we're, we're, we're going to be like in the middle of 1789 in France. Okay. Yeah. And of course we've got uh Chaz chop. I don't know if chop is like going to bring out the guillotines or something. Yeah. Actually, I think they disbanded today, um, which is exciting. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, no, I mean like jokes aside, we do have to get, I think in a case like this, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but like my mentality is, man, can, can we like focus on what the problem is and, and can we like start fixing it? I mean, yeah. we just have this uh, desire just to fix things, right? 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that's not going to happen if we don't actually put our finger on what the problem is, you know? Yeah. And Rather than this. Yeah. And, and, and sorry, I don't mean to interrupt no, no, you, no. but like, um, I think what we're seeing a lot of is who, where can we, where can we find blame next? Right. Right. We can blame these statues. These statues need to come down. Mm. We can blame, we, we can start blaming, you know, 50 year old, uh, middle age or middle-aged white rich people, you know, or we start blaming churches and we start blaming all these things. Like where, where is it going to be next? Right. Rather than, like you said, putting our finger on what the problem oh, is right. and what, what, what's the issue here? What are we talking about? Sure. Sure. You know? So like, uh, bef- before we get to, uh, what Shelby Steele tells us about white guilt and white blindness, um, here's kind of like our, our take on where the situation is. So what does, um, well, what, what's the majority, I guess, of, of the media telling us that the problem is? What's BLM telling us the problem is? Um, well, as far as we can make out the case, they're saying that the problem is that we have systemic racism in the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. and that actually, more broadly, we have a problem of systemic racism in the institutions of our very country. Okay? Now... We believe that that is not where the problem is. We, um, like Sal said in, in our last show, we we went over those points. Um, it, it's not the case that we have systemic racism in our criminal justice system. I know that it uh, it seemed it's a very contrarian position, certainly because honestly, most of the media is is just one specific point of view. But I think, you know, as we develop last uh, time, I think a dispassionate view of the data, and I know that we're getting data from all kinds of places, but we have to look at the actual values that are pertinent, okay? And look, we're going to be very honest about it. So, like, if you remember, Sal, like, yes, we do find that black people are killed by police, at a percentage that is greater than the percentage of the population of black people. Okay. Mm. Black people make up approximately 13% of the population and of people who are killed by police, uh, 26% of them are black. So it's like, well, that, that's twice greater than their act than the percentage that they make up of the population. And if we, but to leave it just with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just there would, of course, to be uh, narrow-minded. Yeah. Okay? Like, what what would actually matter is what are, are the police... Their p- police are probably just doing their job, the vast majority of them. And they're called... They're, you know, 911 is going to be called and they're going to show up at the scene. Right? Yeah. And... Well, it turns out that even though black Americans are only 13% of the population, they actually make up more than half. They, make, they um, commit more than 50% of violent crimes in the country, including homicide and robbery. Okay, mm-hmm. And so, actually, if 
the police are encounter are in dangerous situations. When, when police are in, are confronting criminals in a dangerous situation, about half the time it is with black Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we're just going by percentages, one would maybe think that that actually fifty percent of all people who are killed by policemen are black Americans, but it's not. Right. It's twenty six percent. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like 40 something percent are, are whites. Yeah. So when you actually go by the t- by the numbers of police encountering um, suspects. Yeah. The, the data actually shows that um, the criminal justice system tends to actually be a little more circumspect when it comes to dealing with a black individual. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, but anyway, you know, we kind of crunched all those numbers last show. What about the other question? Is it the case that, uh, okay, well, okay, fine. Maybe the police are doing their job, but hey, they're within this broader system of the American institution, right? Of American democracy, of the mm-hmm. American constitution. The country where the country there was itself. slavery and there was Absolutely. Jim Crow and yeah. there was all these things. Okay, so maybe the police are just doing their job, but maybe they're, they're just a part of this um, racist system. Yeah. It may be the case that, that the core of America is rotten, right? And that's what mm-hmm. we addressed as well. Yeah. But guys, is it really the case that the core of America is rotten? Is it really the case that what gives identity to our country is 1619 and not 1776? Well, we talked a little bit about that as well. Yeah. And look, guys, we, I, I, I hate, it feels dumb to defend what is so obviously <laughs> not the case, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, Sal, like, if if a tree has a disease, would you expect that tree to kind of, like, be fruitful in the long term? Like, would, would you expect that tree to grow well if it has a disease? Right, no. Or would it, wouldn't it actually deteriorate with time? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, like, if the country is inherently racist in its inception, by that, that its very institutions are rotten to the core, wouldn't we then see the history of black America be one of deterioration. Yeah. But is that really, um, are we really going to say that black American history is one of deterioration? I know that it's one of struggle. Yeah. Of course we're not saying that. Of course course we're saying that we had racism, Mm -hmm. but like, let's, let's look at a, let's do the, the math real quick. Okay. So America, 1776, the union declares independence from England on the core belief that all men are created equal and have the same natural rights. 1777, Vermont abolishes slavery. 1804, all of the northern states have already abolished slavery outright or begun a systematic gradual abolition. abolition. By 1808, in 1808, Congress abolishes the slave trade. Not slavery, but the slave trade. Um, 1861 is, we have the American Civil War. And why was the American Civil War fought? It was fought over the question of slavery. Mm-hmm. In 1865, Lincoln, uh, Grant, and the North win the war. They preserve the Union, and Congress passes the 13th Amendment, abolishing slavery. 1868, the 14th Amendment is passed, guaranteeing civ- uh, citizenship to all black Americans and also um, equal protection of their natural rights. Mm-hmm. In 1870... Uh, the Fifteenth Amendment is is passed. It guarantees it guarantees Black Americans the right to vote. 
1954, the Supreme Court rules in Brown versus Board of Education. And if you guys know, Brown v. Board, that is, uh, it reverses the separate but equal doctrine that, that the court had espoused in Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm-hmm. 1964, the Civil Rights Act. Uh, and that banishes discrimination by employers and in uh, public accommodations, restaurants, et cetera. Um, and look, let, let's just go to 2008. 2008, Barack Obama is elected. 2012, he's reelected. I mean, that doesn't look to me like a country that is sick at its core when it comes to racism. It looks yeah. like we have had a history of progress, yeah. not without... Um, difficulties, not without great suffering, mm-hmm. but are, are are we ready to just kind of throw that in the ash heap? Like what our American Republic is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, we we have grown so much, and I feel like we we're 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 missing the point. Like you had talked about, we like are we really going to be defined by our struggles and the things that. Mm-hmm that the bad things that have happened in our country, or are right. we going to focus on how we can continue to grow and continue that, that cycle, right? Or that, that or that, you, that yeah. trajectory of, yeah. of, of going, moving forward. Right. And that's what should define us. The fact that we have a country that can do, that does that. Right. right? Yeah. And, and find, uh, find that unity and define ourselves in that mm-hmm. as Americans yeah. rather than, Oh, like we we used to have slavery in this country, so that makes this country uh, still super evil, right? Yeah. So got to um, cancel that country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, Sal, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and look, I don't want to minimize um, that struggle. Here's what I mean by that: we can actually do the history and, and look at specifically what the ideological struggle was okay mm-hmm. from the very birth of our nation we were already fighting the 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 fight against slavery um yes um half not necessarily 50 percent, but half of our country um was committed to the ideology of slavery you, you, you can almost say if you like that the, that you had the spirit of 1776 was already battling out with the spirit of 1619 even then Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that's fair. Um, and what, as we get closer, in fact, to the Civil War and the confrontation that Lincoln is going to have with the South, see, by that time, actually, y- you can really see the political philosophy in the South that's emerging, which is one of saying that slavery is a positive good. I would actually say that kind of in, in the studies that I've done in, in college and in, in postgrad. On, on that particular question, actually, you had a much racist, a much more racist South in the years leading up to the Civil War than you did actually in the time of the American Revolution. So yeah. in, in, uh-huh. in the time of the American Revolution, the South that was kind of committed to still keeping their slaves, yeah. they did kind of see it as like, as like an evil that they were kind of willing to ignore, you know, kind of mm-hmm. turning a blind eye to their evil, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not until, you know, when you get closer to the Civil War and like, honestly, the, the, um, the great thing, the great thinker, like the, the, the thinker of the South that is kind of like uh, symbolic of, of, their, of their viewpoints is John C. Calhoun, 
okay, mm-hmm. piece of piece of trash person, okay, but yeah. a, but a smart guy that kind of a very intellectual guy that is trying to justify his position on slavery yeah. with a political philosophy. Right, yeah. And what John C. Calhoun does is he justifies slavery as a positive good. Mm-hmm. And honestly, his political philosophy has a lot more in common with like modern polit- political philosophies uh, than it does with the political philosophy of our founding. Okay, yeah. our, The political yeah, yeah. philosophy of our founding, the spirit of 1776, is one that is like classical philosophy, one that is espousing the idea that there's one human nature and that yes. you're trying to get to that human mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. And for John C. Calhoun, it's like, well, history, you know, history kind of changes people. And uh, he has kind of like this pseudo-Darwinian way of looking at the human being. And his position was that black people are not as uh, evolved, you know, as white people. They're kind of like less historically evolved. And mm-hmm. so therefore, it's the, the, the right um, relationship is one of master and slave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's that's not far. Rem- that that's really kind of in line with Hegelian philosophy. It's in line with Marxist philosophy. Yeah. The fact that what determines the human being is this historical process, and not not that every human being has uh, inherent value. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And and we and we fought that battle, guys. We fought that battle. Okay. Lincoln beat freaking John C. Calhoun's butt. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Confederacy and, and Grant, it, yeah. it wasn't an easy fight. Uh-huh. And you had and you had black Americans fighting that fight as well. Yeah. Okay. What are we going to do? What do we want to say about their sacrifice? Say that our country is trash? Be, you know? No. Our, our country is good. Like the good guy, the history of our country is one of the good guys beating the bad guys. Yeah. It is a history of the spirit of 1776 overcoming slowly and sometimes it is a history of, Yeah, it is a history, sorry, of, of, of God. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that, and mm-hmm. being and being present in our country, oh, sure. and 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 blessing us, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? No, I mean it, it's we are blessed that that the that the fight went the way it went, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, um, absolutely. But I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like God recognizing that our country is founded on that on those those core uh, ideas of that we are. We are equal. We are one, right? Sure. No, yeah. And um, and what was I saying? Oh, and but but here's the thing too, Sal. Um, there's no question that 
the Civil War didn't completely end the spirit of 1619. It yeah. didn't. It didn't. No. Uh, Reconstruction was another fight. Okay. Mm-hmm. And actually, after Reconstruction, the South really does get embittered by that, by, uh, by their defeat in the war. Yeah. And it's almost like it, they retrench. And the philosophy of John C. Calhoun persisted. Yeah. Persisted in parts of the South. Um, and so, honestly, like that time frame of Reconstruction all the way leading up to like before when the, the Civil Rights Acts are passed mm-hmm. is one of where, yeah, you, you do see the some of the black population uh, thriving. But the vast majority is not thriving. You know, the, yeah. the vast majority of the black population b- between uh, Reconstruction and the 1940s, most of them still live in the South. Like they, they, they didn't really have a way or they didn't see economically viable way of like going north. You yeah. do have this like great migration that happens later on um, during World War One, where they had more of an opportunity to fill in jobs in the North. Right. That's when because you start. Of the war. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you start to see uh, Black Americans kind of get more into the middle class, and honestly, you start seeing a progress from there, and um, all the way up to to the 1960s, we're seeing a, a, a very clear progress in the lives of black Americans, integrating more into the society, making it to the middle class. We have black Americans graduating from universities left and right, you know, Yeah, yeah. but still a lot of discrimination. Absolutely. And especially discrimination in the South. Mm -hmm. But my point is, you know, we keep fighting that battle. And and I think that we have seen progress thanks to uh, Martin Luther King and to great black leaders. Yeah, they have fought for um, the place that they've been, a- where they've been able to place black society. And yeah. to, to say, you know, just, just to hear some people say that, oh, same today as 400 years ago or same today as 40 years ago. No, that's the point. It's not the same today as 40 years ago, yeah. way less 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. So back to where we were. Okay. Let's yeah. do this logical progression. <laughs> um, no, the criminal justice system is not racist. No, our country is not rotten at the core. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so what what exactly is the problem? And, and it is in the data that we gave before, right? So we're saying that yes, it, it appears that black people are being killed by police in a percentage that makes you scratch your head a little bit. Right. Because after all, black Americans only make 13 percent of the population. So why is it mm-hmm. that there's such a high percentage, 26 percent of people who are, who are killed by police are black? Yeah. And it goes back to those crime rates. And it is the case that black people are committing a disproportionate amount of crime given the population that they are. Yeah. To me, that's kind of like the fact, like that's go. the problematic fact, uh-huh. yeah. right? That's now we're starting to put our thumb in the problem. Okay. Yeah. Now that could still mean, oh, well that's happening because of racism. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We're getting there and, and we're not saying, by the way, we're not saying the opposite. Like we're not saying that, that they're committing that crime because of the color of their skin exactly that would also be uh that would also be a very hasty conclusion (laughs) yeah and yeah because i to be clear we're not we're not saying we're not trying to 
say, okay, well, you're pointing the fingers over here. So no, the fingers actually should be pointed here. No, it's what are we about? We're, we're seeking truth. Yeah. And the numbers say that there's 50% of violent crimes are being committed by black people. And like mm-hmm. you said, it doesn't mean that they're committing the crime because they're black. Right. <laughs> Not at all. And, uh, but why are they committed? Like, well, why is this happening? Yeah, why is it happening? What would we do about it? Where can we even start to look for solutions for this? Okay, or do we want to keep doing what we're doing? And yeah. and this is where Shelby Steele comes in. Like, what what Shelby Steele um, explains in his book White Guilt, and he and he wrote this in two thousand six, and it's just incredible how prescient it is. Like like he's a freaking prophet, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you see some yeah. of this stuff. Uh, he was able to predict with like complete accuracy how it is that we're um, reacting to this event, to the event of the murder of, of George Floyd. It looks like uh, Shelby yeah. Steele could have predicted exactly how it was going to play out. Yeah. And and so I think that... And how and how that... I'm sorry, I keep oh, no, no, cutting no. you off. And how, how there, a lot of the things that are happening are very counterproductive. To, yep. to to making the progress that we want to see. That's right. And and sticking to to those roots of, of our country and how we can yep. move forward. That's right. Like like Sal and I believe that the where we need to look where we need to try to find solutions is actually very um, obvious. It's very obvious where we need to start looking for solutions, okay? What we need to do first, though, is we need to stop doing stupid crap and we need to stop making things worse. OK, yeah. so let uh-huh. me explain to you here what uh, what Mike, uh, Michael uh, Shelby Steele tells us. So th- this is from his book, White Guilt. So um, Shelby Steele explains what white guilt is. He says white guilt is the vacuum of moral authority that comes from simply knowing that one's race is associated with racism. Whites and American institutions must acknowledge historical racism to show themselves redeemed of it. But once they acknowledge it, they lose moral authority over everything having to do with race, equality, social justice, and so on. They step into a void of vulnerability. The authority they lose transfers to the victims of historical racism and becomes uh, their great power in society. All he's done so far is just kind of explained what he means by this white guilt. Yeah. So he's saying like white guilt, first of all, involves this action. If you have white guilt, then what you do is you say, yes, I am white. And like the premise part of the problem, I'm part of the problem. It's it's Mm -hmm. already in the premise. It's already in the premise that your society is institutionally racist. Yeah. And the the action of white guilt is one of saying of acknowledging that 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 is true yeah. and that by doing that, of course, you you lose your moral authority. And we know we've experienced this all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're white. So therefore you can't talk about the problem of racism. Yeah. That's so he's saying he's he's labeling that. It, that is what white guilt is. OK. Uh-huh. Uh, so let me just continue here. Um <clears throat> So he says, because white guilt is a vacuum of moral authority, it makes the moral authority of whites and the legitimacy of American institutions contingent on proving a negative, that they are not racists. Whites and American institutions are stigmatized as racists until they prove otherwise. White guilt leaves no room for moral choice. 
It does not depend on the goodwill or genuine decency of people. It depends on their fear of stigmatization, their fear of being called a racist. So kind of expounding on what on the meaning of of white guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like this is exactly what we're noticing. Like we're, we're jumping into these discussions for most people that 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 are like yelling at us one way or another. Like they're basically saying that, yeah, that your your country is systematically racist. And so therefore spare me with your oh i'm not a racist though (laughs) yeah yeah you know and and this is it it just makes me so sad that so many people say this to to their aunts and uncles and their parents on facebook you know you you have so many like people who are maybe not all up on these like social theories you're like wait a second i i love people of all races (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so what everybody's telling us is, you know, all the people at Vox and everywhere are like, oh, you're so cute. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what this points to then is we've already um, accepted in the very premise um, definition of racism that is not what our aunts and uncles and parents uh, know about, you know. And unless if they're like, again, like I said, like all up to speed with like these uh, uh, more intellectual social theories, you know, for mm-hmm. most Americans, what does racism mean? For most Americans, racism means that you have hatred in your heart towards people of a particular race. Yeah. But in this discussion, that's not even it. It's just mm-hmm. like you're automatically racist because of your race, <laughs> because yeah. you because you're a part of the institution. Right. Exactly. But but he, he'll clarify So, oh, right. So he clarifies that right here. Ugly human prejudices like racism did not just remain isolated in the hearts of racists. These dark passions worked by an invisible hand to generate societal structures that impersonally oppress. That's the system. As people simply conformed to mundane social structures of decency, they executed a bigotry and shaped society around it without feeling animus toward minorities. The Marxian emphasis on structures and substructures gave the new militant leaders of the time an infinitely larger racism to work with. He's talking about like the 1960s era mm-hmm. when when this kind of um, yeah. when this comes out. Uh, a systemic and sociological racism that was far more determinative than the simpler amoral racism of the MLK era, right? Um, so again, notice he, he talks about that Marxian construct. Yeah. And and that's what this new definition of racism is, okay? When we, when we walk into this um, conversation with somebody who's telling us, spare me your telling me that you're not racist. What they are doing is they're kind of creating this chamber <laughs> mm-hmm. where where they they are using uh, the definition of racism, which is one that is that is Marxist. It, it, what, what do we mean by that? That that it's, <clears throat> you know, Marx, as a disciple of Hegel, believed that the content of a human being is completely made by the institutions where that person lives. Yeah. So it's like what Hegel would say, your historical circle, right? Yeah. So Hegel believes that you're stuck in your historical circle. We, we talk about Plato's cave. Um, <clears throat> Plato believed that you can exit the cave 
and find reality no matter what epoch you live in. Mm-hmm. But Hegel believes that you're kind of stuck in your historical circle. Yeah. And so basically what makes you a human being, like I said, is, well, whatever government you have in place, uh, what, what kind of social associations do you have in place, all of that really inf- not just informs, but forms, forms who you are, what you are, yeah. right? So this Marxian uh, racism is, oh, well, um, actually your, uh, uh, the United States of America is this racist construction and so therefore i don't care how good or bad you are you are a part of that construction exactly and you're racist yeah and you don't even know it because you're stuck in this bubble yeah that you are able to have this have that say this you're able to do that you know because because you're white and i didn't get to do those things because i'm black right, right. or you know which um, I feel like when you're having this, you when you try to have this conversation with people that are so passionate and so committed to to that, mm. you know, that form of racism that or that definition of racism. Mm. Um, I mean, it's really hard to have a conversation. Of course, you. It's can. really difficult yeah. because because automatically, you know, whether it's you or it's the people before you or your ancestors or the people, you know, like, yep. it's like they were racist or, you know, or these, you know, your parents did this, so therefore you're racist or, yep. you know, and they're just so convinced that that, that there's no talking about, well, okay, what is actual racism, yep. you know? No, right. So we're already touching on what Steele is going to point out as one of the key problems of this. And that is that, you're leaving no place for um, uh, what's it called. You're, you're leaving no 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 place for personal responsibility. You're yeah. leaving no place for uh, just human action. Like your your actions don't matter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Your, your actions don't matter because um, it's not like you can influence uh, the course of events necessarily. It's it's a historical process that's going to be laid out. Yeah. But let's get deeper into what he says here. Um, Oh, and so so this this racism, uh, Steele, uh, he he names it globalized racism. So he says this globalized racism is racism inflated into deterministic and systemic power. Global racism seeks to make every racist event the tip of the iceberg, so that the redress will be to the measure of the iceberg rather than to the measure of its tip. It is a reconceptualization of racism designed to capture the fruit of the new and vast need in white America for moral authority and racial matters. Okay. So meaning, and again, he wrote this in 2006. Uh, He's saying that therefore any kind of event that you see, you kind of tie that into um, this bigger problem uh, of a systemic racism. So we see the murder of George Floyd, and from where we stand, we look at the data and we're like, well, that's not a systemic issue. Uh, it, it was an isolated issue, and um, it, it was an isolated issue. We were probably treated that way. Um, he's saying that in this view of globalized racism, no, every, every tip, every action or every event is actually just the tip of an iceberg always. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's always uh-huh. like this this uh, bottom part to the iceberg in, in any event that you would look at. Mm-hmm. And when and everything yeah. is uh, everything Dude. is is just 
comes from you know comes from underneath you know yeah and like and yeah that's right like everything this is what drives me crazy about um this ideology is like freaking everything is race dude and and he'll he'll get to that in a minute everything is going to become race so um, Shelby Steele says, suddenly in American life, the matter of responsibility was qualified by a new social morality. If you were black and thus a victim of social oppression, this new morality of social justice meant you could not be expected to carry the same responsibilities as others. The point was that American society no longer had the authority to enforce a single standard of responsibility for everyone because by its own admission, it had not treated everyone the same. Thus, in the national consciousness after the 60s, individual responsibility became synonymous with injustice when applied to blacks. Thus, since the 60s, black leaders have made one overarching argument that blacks cannot achieve equality without white America taking responsibility for it. Okay. Um, so, right, like we touched on, there's, there's therefore now a lack of power in the individual to transcend his situation in, 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 the, um, in the historical circle that he's in. Yeah. And, um, and so, but think about what that means then for for black people what this ideology is saying is that the only way that you can find a redress the only way that you're going to uh, improve in your life is if the people who had the power if you will in the society uh lay it down and uh completely reconstruct it yeah but ultimately it's going to be those same white americans who are going to uh, create this uh, revolution. <laughs> and so that means that you're under the power of the white person, that, that the white person has to fix the problem for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I've had conversations. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, that brings me back to a conversation I had with somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and when I talk about how it's a tough conversation or, or it's not really even a conversation, yeah. right? And I had a conversation with somebody just about uh just about basically what this problem is and what's going on right mm-hmm. and a lot of the talk was like as if i like as if i was part of the problem you know oh, like yeah, yeah. like y'all like i I'm, yeah. I'm white so therefore i'm part of the problem right mm-hmm. and it was this there was this language of there's nothing wrong with me i didn't do anything wrong right. you're you're the pro- you have to fix the problem Right. Because I had said, well, let's talk about like what the, I had said, let's talk about what the problem is right. and like what are some solutions like that we can come to yeah. that we can agree on, you know, <clears throat> and and then his response, you know, and I'm, and I'm being very vague about it because I don't want to like say his no, name, sure, I don't sure. wanna, you know, and, and his response. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. response to me was, I don't have to come up with solutions. Mm. It's not my job to come up with solutions. It's oh, your wow. job to come up with solutions because you've, you've, you've been right. the one who's oppressing. That's right. Right? This is... We've actually not dealt... dealt this wasn't actually quite new in the 1960s. That's actually one thing that I would add to what Shelby Steele is saying here. Yeah. This is actually um, something that we also saw in the early 1900s, this idea of the white guilt, actually. And it's, uh, or like the white burden. And in the early 1900s, intellectuals in America are imbibing this um, progressivism which is uh, kind of a version of Marxianism. It's a version of Hegelianism. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's kind of the same idea. It's, it's, it's actually, it's like what John C. Calhoun believed, that, well, the white man is kind of like more historically advanced. And so therefore, they have to kind of go out of their way. They have to fix the problem for, for races that are, you know, kind of a little bit backward in history. Yeah. And so it's this incredible, like just this disgusting paternalism. It's this paternalism, right? That the white man has to fix the problem for the black man. Mm -hmm. we, we're seeing that actually even in the early 1900s. And again, like, like I'm saying, it actually goes back to John C. Calhoun and Marx and Hegel. Yeah. Okay? But also that's what Steele is talking about here in the 60s as well. Like this white guilt is it just suits like the like the liberal elites perfectly because with their white guilt they um, they gain their moral authority like this 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 makes me you know they they get to feel like they're superior to all of their political opponents who are mm -hmm. trying to were operate under a different definition of racism not this marxist racism yeah you know so they get to be all noble and say, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to accept that my society is racist and I'm a part of that society. So they they step aside, just like he's saying, that's the only way that they gain moral authority. Mm -hmm. They regain the moral authority by uh, giving or not giving it, but by um, exerting white guilt. But then they're going to. Um, be in a position of power or they seek the position of power to then reconstruct society. In mm -hmm. which way? Well, in the way that they're going to tell us. Yeah. Okay. And they get to fix the problem for the black American. So it makes them feel kind of, you know, kind of superior in a way as well. Yeah, you know? right. Uh, so it's it's just this this narcissistic, gratifying uh, thing that they seek and I think you know it's detrimental to yeah and, and I'm not saying that like every per like when Jimmy Kimmel and some of these guys kind of do this thing um, I'm not saying that 
they're necessarily thinking through all this theory, you know? Yeah, right. They, they I don't know. I, I think for the most part, they kind of get it from college. They get it from their teachers at school. Um, mm-hmm. th- this kind of Marxist worldview, I think. And they kind of imbibe it. Like, it, it really becomes second nature. I'm not saying that it's this conspiracy that <laughs> that all these people with the white guilt are, are, are trying to, you know, trying to get one up over... Um, their political opponents and, and end up doing this really racist thing of like solving the problem for the black man. Okay. I don't think that they're thinking it through that way. Yeah. <laughs> but right, that's right. what happens in practice. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and instead, like you said, it, it, like it, it, instead of saying, Hey, let's all kind of solve this problem together as human beings and um, try to look at each other, not as, these social constructs but as individual human beings yeah you know i feel like if if you know and i i i feel like i wasn't really i didn't really i didn't really get to the point and i just didn't do a good job at getting to the point of what i was wanting to say earlier yeah um but 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 if you if you read back that part where it says blacks cannot achieve equality without white american uh, without white america taking responsibility for it mm-hmm. If you read that to any black person, I I would think that that they're gonna read that and be like, "That's uh, that's messed up." Of no. course, of course, yeah. Like I, <clears throat> we can achieve equality, you know, and we can be successful, and we can and we can be who we are sure. without white America saying anything about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like this, this, um, that. Uh, sorry, Go- going back to then what the the white person is doing and engaging in this white guilt and taking on like the, the burden, if you will, of then fixing the problem for the black man, right? That's what then Shelby Steele defines as white blindness. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk about white blindness. So Shelby Steele. White blindness is a blindness to the human reality of minorities that occurs when whites look at racial issues, but looking only at the contingency they must meet to restore their own moral authority. White blindness is an unconscious self-absorption by which whites see racial issues and even interracial encounters as opportunities to dissociate from historic racism. uh, Dissociation requires evidence of a proactive effort, a self-conscious and highly visible display, kind of like uh, um, uh, shining their shoes, like uh, the, the owner of uh, Chick-fil-A said, <laughs> right? That, that, like a, a very highly visible display of dissociation. Yeah. Or, or, but dissociation, by the way, just means saying that, oh, yeah, 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 the, the system is crap, down with the system. That's what dissociation means. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. another symbol of that is tearing down a statue. That's mm-hmm. a uh, that's the the symbol of dissociation. Sorry, let me back to where I was. Um, people who are in the grip of white blindness and thus unaware of their true motivations always miss the human being inside the black skin. Your color is what represents you in the mind of such people. Okay, they they those who suffer from this white blindness will have built a large part of their moral identity and possibly their politics around how they respond to your color. And thus a part of them, the moral part, is invested not in you, but in some idea of what your color means. 
And when they see you, the individual, you a black person, they instantly call to mind this investment and determine once again to honor it. Honor it. Uh, they're very likely proud of the way they've learned to relate to your color. Proud of the moral magnanimity it gives them. A, it gives them an opportunity to express. So in meeting you, they actually meet only a well-rehearsed and better part of themselves. In the age of white guilt, white blindness has been driven not by white racism, but uh, by the white need to dissociate from racism. Whites are blind to blacks as human beings today, not out of bigotry, but out of their obsession with achieving the dissociation they need to restore their moral authority. When they find a way to dissociate from racism with diversity or politically correct language or political liberalism itself, or I would add by toppling statues, there's little incentive to understand blacks as human beings. Dissociation makes white, whites human again. It gives whites the right to speak on these issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is intense, dude. This is so... Yeah. He's like so hitting the, the, the nail on the head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and cause I, I, immediately I think something we haven't like said that's obvious is that mm-hmm. it's an election year, right? Right. And so that is happening in politics. But I think it's also happening just with with white people who are not necessarily looking for when we talk about the moral authority or gaining that moral authority to to fix like like we're not just talking about like like a Joe Biden, right? Or an Nancy Pelosi, right? We're talking about even people just in our society who 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 are thinking, Oh, gosh, how can I look really really moral and 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 yeah. like like awesome that's right i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna post this yes you know saying that the system is horrible right, right? so right. then when people look at me no matter who it is mm-hmm. and in this case i guess you know when black people look at me my black friends look at me they're like oh yeah that guy he gets it he's awesome yeah. right exactly. and then you feel good about yourself right that, that's stupid yeah and that's that's exactly what that is right yeah, here. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's the I mean, he he's right that that there's this desire of the white person to kind of gain some kind of authority on these issues. And do they and, care and and I I mean, maybe this is cold to say, but are they really like I like like he said here, like they're not really thinking about they're the, not the, thinking the person, about the individual. Though, yeah, the individual. They're, they're thinking about the category. Are they thinking about George Floyd? Most of, I mean, a lot of them probably aren't. You know, um, and and that's not to say that they're like a lot of these people. I think there is also just like uh, like you said with, with these big names are not thinking of this process completely, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure there's a lot of people who are out in the streets talking like with their defund white people that are with right. their defund police signs, yeah. you know, and maybe they are thinking, oh, people dying, that's terrible. Black people right. die, and and I agree, black black or white or whoever. Di- People dying and being yep. killed is a bad thing. Yeah. Right. But I think it's uh, it instead of reflecting on on how am I being racist, start reflecting on like if I make this profession of guilt, mm. right? Like what is that? What am I? What am I ultimately trying? Like what am I ultimately trying to do? Right. Right. And yeah, what yeah. does it say? Yeah. Because when I see it, you know. That's what it. This is what I see. This is what I think it says. It says that oh, you know, I I feel good about myself now because I was able to, <laughs> you know, that I I said that that I wanted to defund the the police. 
Right. Of course. <laughs> you know, and then and then reason, like we said, reason goes out the freaking door. Yeah. Completely. You know, and we don't see what the actual solutions are and what the actual problem is. No, yeah, because we're just kind of stuck on these on these categories is, yeah. is the thing. So, no, like, I, I want to say more about that. I'll, I'll just kind of finish. Um, uh, we're almost done with um, his, uh, his point here. Post-60s American liberalism preserves the old racist hierarchy of whites over blacks as virtue itself. And it grants all whites who identify with it a new superiority. In effect, it says you are morally superior to other whites and intellectually superior to blacks. The white liberal's reward is the feeling that because he is heir to the knowledge of the West, yet morally enlightened beyond the West's former bigotry, he is really a new man, a better man than the world has seen before. Because dissociation is a claim of superiority, it generates a kind of collective narcissism in an irrational yet utterly certain belief in the moral superiority of post-60s dissociational liberalism. In this liberalism, one does not argue by logic or principle. One argues by dissociation. Only in dissociation are authority, legitimacy, and power available. When the American left responded to the crisis of white guilt and began to define social virtue as mere dissociation, it effectively started the culture war. Dissociation is always achieved at the expense of democratic principles and values grounded in, grounded in fairness and individual responsibility, what in shorthand might be called the culture of principle. And so, so again, so ultimately, yeah, so the point that he's trying to get at is by framing the whole racial discussion in this way, we are robbing uh, every individual of their personal responsibility. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it, it, and it's like we were saying, and, and isn't it true? Like we see this kind of everywhere in our life that, um, we tend to just see people first with uh, under the uh, category of race, you know, like mm -hmm. against our will, we, we actually go into the structure, which kind of does makes make us racists in the sense that we view life with the filter of race, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and <clears throat> sorry, I don't, no, yeah. I, um, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I keep cutting you no, off, man, fine. but like, I hate the, uh, especially going back to talking about that. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, an election year. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know about you, but I hate this, the talk or the lingo of like, well, what does this guy have to do for the black vote? Exactly. What does this guy have to do for the white vote That's or right. for the Catholic vote or That's for right. the for the Muslim vote? You know, yep. like Yep. But but specifically in, in like you said, when we're looking at things through through the lens of, of race, mm -hmm. it, it just it's more dividing. It's just it of divides course it is. so That's much. Right. That's right. You know? Yeah, no, and, and, and that's the thing, like, um, a lot of these, like, Vox readers are going to, like, mock us if we say, uh, we, we need to start, like, treating ourselves as uh, individual human beings that let the, the content of our character define who we are and yeah. not the color of our skin. And they're, like, laughing, like, oh, you don't know about all these theories. Yeah, yeah. your theories are crap, okay? Exactly. <laughs> okay, your exactly. theories are crap. It turns and out it turns out that the that the right way to make progress in this thing is like we get from the teaching of Martin Luther King. I was about to say you beat me to it. <laughs> and, and I and I understand. Like what you said right there, that yeah. is exactly 
This is exactly what he fought for. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and look, I, I, I've seen some people make the point that, oh, no, it turns out Dr. King, like when you look at some of his other writings, sometimes you see some of the, the actually some of the Marxist talking points, too. Well, look, whatever the case may be, I, I know that I, I think that he was kind of a little bit all over the place in some in some of his philosophy. Yeah. But whatever the case, when when he makes the correct points, he's making the correct points. And and um, and I actually don't want to concede. I, I wouldn't concede unless we kind of study it a little bit further. Right. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. MLK was truly like, you know, under this view of racism, I, I, I doubt it, you know. Um, but no, when, when he talks about his, I have a dream speech, he's, ma- he, he's making that point. It's not just that point, actually, not just in that speech. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show a clip here in a minute where he actually speaks exactly against the, the Marxist understanding of racial phenomena, actually. So no, no, I take it back. Well, we'll um, the, the reality is that is the 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 right way to view this in in, in our opinion that yeah. the way forward is to treat people not as a racial category but as individual human beings yeah. and we have to fight for the idea that we have individual responsibility and that that we're not just you know subject to the whims of history or you know defined by the institutions of our society yeah is it the institutions of society that define us or do we define and mold and change and better the institutions of our life? That's the question, right? Yeah. Or, and, 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 and I just picture too getting caught in this, like this gross game, you know, that, you know, and and I don't want to be one of those guys who just throws out the word media. Right and like, yeah. oh, the media is pro- is a problem, but yeah, but, but, but there is, is a, it is a problem, <laughs> of course, right? Yeah, because because it's all about the story. It, yes. It's all about the story. What I'm saying is that wanting to tear down a statue, right, mm. and blame the system and 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 set things on fire sells, and people want to see it, right. and the media sees that, and they know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just is, it's, it's, it's a sick game that I don't want to play. I don't want to be a part of, yeah. you know, I no. want to sit here and talk about these things and what, what, what the actual problem is and, and, and talk about how we, we have made progress as a country yeah. and talk about how, like we said, we are all individuals and should see each other as individuals and be judged by our character. Yeah. Right. No, ab- absolutely. Right. And the, and the media doesn't see it that way. Yeah. No, look, here's, um, I, I want to show you, and this is a, a portion, we, we've actually played a, a portion of this speech before, uh, MLK's um, Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, and Sal, I, I just want to show you ju- this just one part, um, you're going to see exactly how this is completely contrary to um, the, the understanding of racism that, that Shelby Steele rightly uh, puts his finger on. I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea 
that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. Uh, so, right, so you see there, he, he, he refuses to believe that man is mere flotsam and jetsam in the river of life, unable to influence the things that happen in, uh, around him, you know? Yeah. Um, that, that's completely contrary to, to this Marxist idea of, of racism, that, that, um, that we're, we're just subject to the, the categories and the constructs that we have in our society. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that to overcome those those things or overcome this that type of racism or what what does it take? It it takes for you know, pe- you know, it it takes for the white man to uh, to admit their wrongs for you right, to be the, able to move the, forward. Right. The and dissociation, the whole mm-hmm. thing that Steele talks about. Yeah. Dissociation, when, and then reconstruct the society mm-hmm. and uh yeah so you let let the let let the <laughs> let the individual who has power he has to fix it for you so 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 we see there just the the, the refutation really of, of that worldview and and here's the other clip i wanted to show you so so this is uh this is a guy i've been listening to him a lot recently uh glenn lowry so this, this is a conversation that Dr. Lowry had with Robert Woodson. And uh, it's interesting, like what, what Robert Woodson is trying to do. He, he's actually the founder of, oh man, I, I forget exactly what he calls the association, but it's basically, oh, well, I think he just calls it the 1776 project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. like the 1619 project came out and uh, Robert Woodson is a part of the 1776 project obviously fighting that ideological battle as to what the root of our country truly is. So here's, here's what uh, Glenn Lowry says. But let, let me now, can I, if I may, since this is the Blitz show, I'm going to take a little time, uh, react a little bit. And this is not critical. This is affirmation. I'm, I'm in so much profound agreement with you, and I want to give my view. And my view is that social capital is important. This is where I think you're coming from, ultimately, in my in my theory, in my idea, uh, institutions are important. Informal institutions are important. The family is a fundamental starting point. Uh, the community, the neighborhood, neighborhood structures, churches, community organizations, these are fundamental. Uh, finding leadership at the grassroots, organizing people at the grassroots to empower them, this is fundamental. Uh, development is fundamental. In other words, the outcomes that we see, whether it's incarceration or teenage pregnancy or dropping out of school or uh, getting uh, HIV, are not just things that fall on people by willy-nilly. Neither are they the result of some magic ray coming out of a racist ray gun. (laughs) They are the results of the behaviors of the people involved, and those are things for which those people are responsible. The fact of injustice, of unfairness, which you are not denying in the least has afflicted Black people, does not remove that responsibility. Uh, and you, I could go on in that vein, but, but uh, personal responsibility is important. 
You're uh, worried that the racial grievance industry, I know that's a phrase that you probably have coined, uh, but people will know what I'm talking about when I say it. Uh, there's the intellectual and journalistic part of it, of which a Hannah Jones or a Ta-Nehisi Coates is an uh, aspect. There's the bureaucratic and professionalized part of it, of which all of these middle-level uh, uh, people working in these various social service bureaucracies whom you've, uh, you know, excoriated uh, uh, belong and whatnot. Uh, the profoundly ineffective, hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions of dollars poured down a rat hole without uh, without effect, without getting to the root of the thing. And I'd add to all of this that the intellectual environment is impoverished, that the editorial pages at the newspapers don't get it, that the universities don't scratch the surface of, of doing what they should be doing in a responsible way in dealing with these problems, that the political classes mouth platitudes and, and slogans uh, and play race cards. And, and the way that you see the white liberals playing the race card left and right uh, as just a way of getting these people's votes in the way you see, we have to say it, don't we? The Democratic Party take these votes for granted and so on. You don't believe in socialism. I'm sorry, Bob, but I believe that's an implication of what you're saying. You're a Christian. Again, I don't mean to out you, but I think that's very important to win. <laughs> very, very important. Okay. Here we are now, and I'll stop. All the way two decades into the 21st century, the civil rights movement ended in the 1960s or the 1970s at best. My God, if our people don't wake up, I'm talking about black people and I'm talking about the American people. Uh, we are uh, in for a very sad uh, landing here, a very, very bad accounting. I think we're losing, Bob, notwithstanding your efforts. I want you to respond to that. I agree with you. But, but, you know, I don't have any choice but to be optimistic. Either that or become, <laughs> there's no other way out. I have to believe it because I have seen evidence of it every day. And as I go in these low-income communities, I see islands of excellence just shining. And my challenge is to excite the American public so we can ignite a kind of, uh, of, of excitement so that somebody with a lot of money and a lot of power will say, you know what, we are, we are raising up inner city black kids who are being told that they live in a country that hates them and that such things as whether the list that they have, competition is racist, uh, a, a capitalism is racist. They're being taught these ways. Can you imagine after eight years of this, these same young people are going to be asked to defend their country against foreign uh, uh, hostiles. Why would they do that if we're teaching them to be um, that America hates them and therefore they should hate America? Also, Glenn, is having a practical uh, 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 problem that 60% of police forces are now having difficulty recruiting people to the point where 911 calls are not being responded to. That's not something that's going to just adversely affect the black community. So the race grievance industry is really contributing to the decline of this country and our ability to defend and protect ourselves. So for those who may not be motivated the way I am, your own self-interest ought to motivate you to begin to challenge what uh, we are challenging in these times. So, I mean, I, 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 I am convinced, I am hooked on optimism. Because every time I go into these communities and I see my grassroots leaders achieving against the odds, 
I see some powerful examples of restoration and redemption, and, and I see safe uh, people change and become transformed. I said, I want this for everybody. But there's, there is a common thread because uh, it isn't just a matter of wealth because, as you know, in um, Silicon Valley, among the wealthy families where you have two-parent households with master's degrees, a median income of 180000 the teen suicide rate is six times the national average. And so, therefore, and then that, that 17-year-old who, um, I mean, the mother who lost her 17-year-old daughter to suicide has more in common with the 17-year-old girl who was shot to death in public housing. One's problem isn't privilege and the other wasn't uh, inequity. So yeah. in order for us to come together to fill that emptiness that is within the soul of people, we must push race aside. And so I'm hoping that people will, 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 will do this for any number of reasons along the whole social and economic spectrum, either because it's threatening our public safety, either because there's an emptiness, a moral emptiness that must be filled. And we won't do it as long as we allow the race hustlers uh, and extremists on both sides to prevail. Okay, Bob, that's wonderful, man. Uh, I just want to underscore a, a few things you said, or maybe come back to touch on some points because there's so much there. Uh, you're optimistic, okay, because you're seeing work on the ground that is giving you hope and, and inspiring you, and you believe in people. Uh, you're concerned about our public safety because you think that the message that's coming out of some of the critique of America, such as is exemplified by the 1619 Project, and by, by the way, as you know, this is the New York Times. This is the establishment of American culture. This mm -hmm. is a massive infusion into a curriculum of schools all throughout this country in terms of how to tell the American story. This is a real fight about the American story, about the narrative, about how we understand the country. And in the context of that fight, you position yourself as a patriot. I'm sorry, but again, I don't yeah. know if you deny that. You're going to run from that. Because it sounds to me like it's a patriotic, it sounds to me like 1776 is affirming something, okay? It sounds like believing in America, not just believing in grassroots people in the communities where you're working, believing in the country, perhaps believing that it's an exceptional country, but perhaps believing that it basically is a good country. Okay? Absolutely. Worth serving, excuse me, worth fighting and dying for, okay? This is the implication that I'm taking out of what you're saying. Okay, black people are not to be taught to hate our country. Why don't we just say that? Okay, we are not to be taught to hate our country. The fact of slavery, I'll say it for a third time, are not redound in the 21st century in the indoctrination of our children into an attitude toward their country of contempt, of skepticism, of disdain, of not belonging. That's a mistake. It's a profound political and moral error. It betrays our ancestors. I want to finish this. Teaching our children that America isn't worth loving and dying for betrays the sacrifices of our ancestors who fought and died for it and for our freedom. So uh, what, what do you think, Sal? I mean, he, he touches on uh, some of the things we've been talking about. I think that's so profound. Mm. Like, it's so important. You know, um, yes, in the history of our country, we've had slavery. Slavery is 
is is just the epitome of evil. It's yeah, it is. It is the it's problem awful. that we dealt with. It is right? the, the fundamental problem. Yeah. But in response to that, in response to that, there was there was Abe Lincoln, right, mm-hmm. and Grant, like we talked about, and all these people that fought to 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 get rid of that. Right, and to and move Frederick forward. Douglas. And Frederick and Douglass yeah. and MLK. All these people who have fought to make the country better. Mm-hmm. Um, Every soldier. It's, it's, I, I think it's profound and, and really eye-opening to think that it's, 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 it's like a spit in the face. Yeah. You know, forgetting what they fought for mm-hmm. today if yeah. we're saying that our country is evil and it should yeah. be burnt to the ground well yeah like right? Glenn says it's a profound error it's a profound error it, it, it it's a mistake we go down this road it's a mistake that w- that's going to be the road to regression it's going to be the road to making things worse yeah know? and and like we saw in in the earlier clip you know what what Glenn is saying is that he understands what the problem is he he, he puts his finger on the problem that we, we have a problem of of um criminality in in black neighborhoods and you're right it like it, it is of course it's tied to the past I'm, we're not saying that it's not what we the point that we're trying to make and the point i think that that glenn uh would make is that what is the way forward the way forward is actually ba- is going back and this is definitely what robert woodson is saying is that we have to put aside racial barriers and we have to focus on what does unite us as a country. What, what unites yeah. us as a country is the spirit of 1776. It's the spirit that Lincoln preserved. It's the yeah. spirit that MLK preserved and fought for. The, the thing, Sal, is we have the tools to fight this fight. Yeah. We have resources. We have um, a route that we need to go back to. And that, uh, so if we, if we want to, if we want to start a revolution, I would suggest to you, that's the revolution that we need to start. Not one of destroying and creating something new, but one of reacquainting ourselves with what unites us, right? Reacquainting ourselves with the, the good principles of American government. Mm-hmm. The good, you know, you, you want to talk about you want to talk about systemic failure. Well, I, I think that there are certain diseases in the in the tree of of uh, of the American institutions. Mm-hmm. Some of those diseases are Marxian ways of looking at race. Some of those diseases are, um, well, one of of trying to solve the the problem by throwing money at things. Right. Yeah. Um, we, we see diseases in the, um, the ways that the institution of the family deteriorates. There's some diseases there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, so to my mind, the revolution needs to be going back to the principles that strengthen those institutions because they have a good root and, and, and why, how do we know that they have a good root? Because we've seen its progression. We've seen, we've seen its progression for better and for good. Yeah. Here's one for you, Jim. L- yeah. l- let me, let's look at marriage. Okay. Let's pretend, uh, we, uh, hypothetically, we have a, um, a marriage that is, that is failing 
uh, there's a lot of problems, okay? Is it helpful to just start listing all the problems and talking about how hurt you are and just be angry and fight and fight and fight? You would argue that that marriage is going to go down the drain if that's all you're going to do, if that's what's happening. Sure. Right? So what is the logical and thing that you should do with that marriage should it be to just completely tear it down end it and go find a different person to marry mm. i would argue no mm. right obviously you know when when you start thinking about this metaphor there could be other reasons why to find you know why yeah. not be in a marriage anymore right but if you're really trying to work something right that i don't that's not that's not how you solve that issue what do you go back to you go back to the to the vows that you made you yeah. go back to the good things in the marriage. You go what, back to what brought you together. What brought you together in the first place, and where is that strength? Where is that yeah. spirit of that marriage? Sure. Right. Sure. So, but but the thing that I want to highlight the most is that it's not helpful to just sit in in pain and in resent and in um you know and in hurt. I guess I already said pain. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't help to just hash those things out and just. And just uh, burn, burn your house down, <laughs> and then sure. do all those things, right? Yeah. No, you want to go back to to where where's where where's that spirit of unity and of love, right. and um, in this case, where's the spirit of the American spirit of yeah. of people coming together and fighting for this country and dying for this country, and or willing to die for this country, right? And what is that spirit? What is the core of the American Union? Well, the core of the American Union is that we are all children of God, that there is no distinction by race, that the value of every human being is uh, simply because we're created, and we're created uh, with equal inalienable rights, rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yeah. you know? Um, hey, it's corny. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be ridiculed and mocked by the very intelligent uh, Marxists, okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, if you keep digging, you can outsmart them, and that's what we're here for, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, guys... With with all that's being said, um, you know we talk about it all the time. We say it all the time here on this show that we uh, we want you, we want to challenge those who are listening to to um, constantly be informed, uh, to read, to have conversations, to talk. Uh, we're willing to do that with you guys. We're willing to um, take questions, email us, right? Um, be skeptical of the narrative. Exactly. Yeah, and don't and I mean like I don't don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not here sitting on my high horse thinking like oh I've got it all figured out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean I have my own times where I think okay like I really do want to understand this obvious like th- this obvious pain that people are going through, you know. And and there's some people that it seems like there really are in pain or they're or they're really angry, and I want to understand that. And, and, um, but I want to understand it without me going straight to the color of my skin, mm-hmm. because I think that's like we've said, is part of the root of the, is, is part of the problem. And, um, so we want to just challenge you guys to, to see past that. And I, it's something I have to reflect on all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself that I'm judging people by their character, um, 
and and not by the color of their skin. Okay, guys. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, thanks for joining us here on the Worldview Bros. Um, again, send uh, uh, send us your questions, concerns, uh, no matter uh, where you are uh, on your opinion. If you want to talk to us, we're open to talk to people. You know, we're open to address that. Um, also, just looking ahead, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, Pixar movies, <laughs> going oh. from racism to uh, Pixar, <laughs> right? Uh, we're going to have our, our very fir- first guest on the Worldview Bros, um, and a good friend of yeah. mine. Exciting. A good friend of mine, Dylan Duell. Um, and yeah, we like to talk about all things, even mm-hmm. entertainment. And you can see that if you go listen to the re- all our, uh, go back and listen to our past shows, um, ranging all the way from human nature to the best movies of 2019, 2018, you know, all yep. those things. So go check out our YouTube show, uh, our channel, uh, uh, catch us on iTunes, Spotify, um, and we'll catch you next time here on the Worldview Bros. Thanks, guys. All right. See you guys.